I believe. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Amen. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Okay, buddy. Universal Christian Church. The communion of the saints. And I believe that I am inspired today. This is a great day for the Christ Journey family to be together. Would you repeat after me? Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. This is an inspiring thought to me that thousands of us are connected right now across the nation, around the world through Church Online, and that right here in South Florida, we've got our campuses that are ready to bring praise to God. Would you repeat after me? Great is the Lord. And greatly to be praised. Okay, Kendall, we're feeling you. You there? We love you. And we welcome you. And, um, and I've got something to praise God for today. You know, when you have a, a special announcement and you can't wait to share it, but you don't want to do it till you know it's real, um, before you say anything, that's been me for months until this last week. This last week, I... Uh, I told our Council on Ministries, I told our staff, I finally told my mother, I told my, uh, my daughters, you know, I have written a book, it is at the printer, it's going to be released in November, it's title, it's happening right now, it's title is Upside Down Kingdom, and it personalizes truth that we have experienced here at Christ's Journey of the fullness of God's blessing through the Beatitudes of Jesus. And so you know this has risen from our congregation, and now it's gathered together as a special tool. It's built to be a transformational tool that you can use in your personal spiritual journey, that you can use as a mentor with another disciple, or that you can use with your small group. Um, the publisher says it's going to go to, it's going to be released for sale on Black Friday, um, but we have clearance so that Christ's Journey gets first dibs if you want it on November 24th. So I'm just saying, stay tuned the Sunday before. You'll be hearing more about that. But I wanted you to know, and I want to give glory to God. The Lord is great. And then I also want to say this. Um, some of you have been so kind to ask about that little grandson of mine that you haven't seen for a while. And you know what? He walked this last week, so now he's walking. He turns one in November. I think we even might even have a, uh, uh, there he is. Okay, so I knew you wanted to see him. We're just checking in. This is another reason I say thank you, God. God is great and greatly to be praised. And now to today's message, oh my. Mark Twain, the famous American author, said, some people are troubled by things in the Bible they can't understand. I'm troubled by things in the Bible I can understand. And the topic that we're dealing with today is like one of those things. It, it's troubling. It troubles me. It, maybe it troubles you. I know it troubles our culture right now because our culture is obs obsessed with this thought, and yet we mock it with the ridicule of uh, scorn humor. You know scorn humor, don't you? It's a tool of ridicule. And this shows up in it. In fact, if you do this that we're going to talk about in today's politically correct culture, you do it at your own risk. That's how ridiculed and scorned it is. And you know what I'm talking about already. Judgment. Hashtag, don't judge me. You know, I'm going to speak on judgment today, so hashtag, don't judge me. 
We say, don't judge me because I'm judging that you're going to judge me, and I'm already judging your judgment of me. And I just want to give you a heads up on that, you know, because that's what, that's what we're talking about today. Josh McDowell spoke here some time ago, and, and he said, you know, the, the most quoted verse of the Bible used to be John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He said, you know what the most quoted verse of the Bible is today? Judge not lest ye be judged. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. We have a thing about judging, don't we? You, you, you notice this. You know this is true. Jacob Williams, our new uh, Miami Beach campus pastor, was out uh, meeting people. He was uh, getting, kind of getting a spiritual pulse on the community out in Miami Beach. And one day on Lincoln Road, he, he told someone that he was a Christian, that he was starting a new congregation at Miami Beach High School. And, um, and she responded that, oh, well, she and some of her friends uh, had Googled religions and had decided that um, Buddhism is probably her best fit, though she really couldn't explain Buddhism. I mean, that's what she told him. She said, I think it's my best fit, but I really can't explain what it is. And so Jacob asked her if he could explain to her what he believes as a Christ follower, and she said yes, so he did. And, And after hearing the gospel, here's what she said. You know, I'd heard about Jesus before, but I really didn't know who he was. I didn't know what he had done. And I thought Christianity and Christians were judgmental, judgmental. I mean, I didn't really know about Jesus. I didn't really know what he had done. But I just thought that Christians and Christianity were judgmental. And Jacob told me after hearing the gospel, what she said, and understanding that there was nothing that she had to do to earn favor or love with God, she said, you know, I didn't know this. This is really different from how I thought. And she's not the first one, uh, nor will be the last one, to, uh, to think that about Christianity, is she? In fact, uh, today in culture, it like gets smeared with that as judgmental. And the thing is, you know, we get that, though. It's troublesome. Nobody wants to be judged, especially if what judgment means is being condemned, Right? So this is a touchy topic. Let's just say that one right up front here. Maybe it's the most unpopular in the entire series. But I think from teaching this that I can safely say and having conversations about it that this is probably the most misunderstood, misrepresented, misinterpreted topic of our entire series. And um, the series is I Believe. We've been exploring truths that are held to be most basic to our faith as summarized in the Apostles' Creed. And today's phrase is, Jesus Christ will come again and judge. He will judge the living and the dead. So I know, aren't you glad you came today, right? This is like, oh yeah, I don't want to miss this one. But the truth is that judgment is part of our faith. So we need to say that out loud as well. Judgment is part of our faith, but at the heart of our faith is the fact, the historical fact, we already unpacked this one, that Jesus Christ, Jesus is God's Christ who took our judgment upon himself at the cross. So we've already unpacked that belief. Okay, so catch up with the story now. Then if Jesus has already judged, then why is he coming back to judge? That's a logical question, right? So what's he coming to judge? 
Well, you know something else that human history and human culture teach us is that we can't get away from judgment. And I want us to think a little bit about that for a moment. We make judgments as human beings. We make judgments all the time. I came across a quote by Carl Jung, uh, the great psychologist who explores the subconscious of humanity. He said, you know, thinking is hard. That's why most people just judge. (laughs) Everybody judges. It's harder to slow down and think and reflect. But we do it all the time. And culture tells us this. We... uh, We make judgments all the time. We're constantly evaluating. We're constantly deciding. You tell me if I'm wrong. We're constantly deciding good, better, best, which is which. And then when it's not one of those, then what should I avoid? Right? We make judgment all the time. We have quality standards, standard expectations about the food we eat, about the water we drink, about the blood supply we use in our health care. Why? Because we don't want them to be contaminated. It matters, right? And uh, if a service provider or a product provider sells you something under one expectation and it doesn't meet expectation, you want them either to meet expectation, meet standard, or you want them to make reparations. That's a value judgment. That's what that is. We do this all the time. If somebody asks you to go, we make judgments about, uh, about the clothes we wear, the words we use, the people we want to be in with, the ones we're going to sin with. We, do, we make judgments all the time. Judgments can, keep, can recall cars and can ground planes, all because somebody made a judgment. Judgment is, is in our culture, and it's in us. If somebody calls you up and asks you out, you got to make a judgment call. Do I want to spend time with this person? Right? You are evaluating what? What are you evaluating? Values? Values invite you into a judgment of an evaluating schedule. So what do you do? You don't, maybe you don't tell yourself, oh, I'm going to go judge them. No, you know, you know what you do? You get online, you check them out, you try to find out all the information, background on them. You know, what are you looking for? You're making an evaluation. You're looking for values. Are you making a judgment? I mean, when your phone rings or buzzes or vibrates or whatever yours does, and you look, you look at it, don't you? You look at the number, and then you make a call, a judgment call. Are you going to take it now, or are you going to let it go to voicemail, and then maybe get back to it later? Is that a judgment you just made? You looked at it. You decided something. All I'm saying is this is a part of us. In your favorite sports team, in your favorite sport, I bet they've got judges. Officials, referees, umpires. Maybe you're watching a game over the weekend and you said, Where was the flag on that play? What did you just do? You made a judgment. This is what we do. Sometimes we 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 wonder, we say, you know, don't judge me, but we're doing it all the time. Even America's got talent has a panel of eh. judges. And then what do they do? They throw it out to you and say, You make the call. What are you doing? All I'm saying is there is no escaping judgments in this life, and I haven't even mentioned the political process. Aren't you glad? And I'm not going to. But what I'm thinking is this. It should be no surprise to us that judgment is in the creed of the apostles. Why? It's everywhere else. That's what I'm thinking anyway. 
See, it's in our history, it's in our culture, it's in our family. Somebody said, you know, my mom should, would have been a great travel agent. She's always sending me on guilt trips. <laughs> Dr. Brene Brown, sociologist who has studied shame for decades now, says if we share our shame story with the wrong person, They can easily become one more piece of flying debris in an already dangerous storm. What kind of storm is she talking about? Judgment storm. Hashtag don't judge me. That's why we don't talk, we don't share our ourselves because we don't want to wind up in a judgment storm, right? But here's what I'm saying. You can be defensive about it, you can be in denial about it, but there's no escaping it. We judge ourselves. Others judge us. We judge ourselves. How did it get in the Apostles' Creed? It's in us. If God is going to meet us where we live, He's got to find us right there. Judge me if I'm wrong. But I'm inviting you into making a call here about what does this matter? How does this, what does this mean to us? There's no escaping it in the Bible. Jesus taught it. The apostles taught it. The Bible story shows us a God from the beginning to the end of the book, a God of justice, a God of mercy, a God of freedom, a God of accountability. These tensions are at play in the entire story, just like in ours. God has moral sensibilities. And since we are made in God's image, we do too. And um, that's part of the reason why Peter, Apostle Peter, eyewitness to the death, burial, resurrection, and post-appearances of Jesus, where, I mean, they ate with him, they drank with him. After he rose from the dead, this is what Peter said, he is the one that God appointed as judge of the living and the dead, Apostle Peter. Apostle Paul wrote this, we will all, all stand before God's judgment seat. We must all give account before God. 2 Corinthians 5.1, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due him, that of the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Apostle John, how about the apostle of love? He quotes Jesus saying this, don't be amazed at this, for a time is coming when, I, when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. That's the worst kind of judgment. There are many kinds of judgment. That's the worst kind right there. The Apostle Matthew quotes Jesus saying this, the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he's done. So there's a good side of the judgment. There's reward come. But then verse 36, I tell you that men will have to give account on that day, the day of judgment, for every careless word they have spoken. That one troubles me since I speak so much. Luke chapter 12, Jesus says, there's nothing that is concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. Yikes. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. Now is that troubling to anybody except me? 
I think that might have been one that troubled Twain. It sure troubles me. Because no one spoke with more clarity, more severity, and more certainty about God's coming judgment than Jesus. So what did his first followers believe? This is what we've been exploring. We've been saying, okay, what was it that they believed? Well, what they believed was Jesus is coming again, and when he does, he's coming as judge. Okay, then why did they believe that? Well, the answer is because that's what Jesus taught. Because he taught it. He taught it repeatedly. They also believed it because it was what Moses and the ancients believed. The prophets had taught through all of their history that there is coming a day of accounting. The great day of the Lord will come. Now, today, I'm not trying to defend the idea. All I'm trying, that's for another time, but I'm, I'm simply trying to say, what did they believe? Why did they believe it? And then what does it mean to us? Right? But if you're interested in that other conversation, then I want to point you to the book, The Reason for God by Tim Keller. It's a wonderful book of, of uh, engaging intellectual understanding. And in particular, if this topic is bothersome to you, A God of Judgment Can't Be a God of Love is one of the sections under the heading, How Can a Loving God Send People to Hell? Now, I've spoken on that one before, too. So we're not dodging these topics. I'm telling you, I'll do it again, but not today, because today the focus is, what did they say? What does it mean to us? Now, what do we do about it? Oh, by the way, if you're interested in a perhaps uh, a group discussion around those topics, then I'm wondering if it's not time for another Skeptics Anonymous group like we've hosted in the past. And so if you're interested in that, you want to just put your name and contact information down on that Connect card that's available to you, and then get those in, then I'll get back in touch with you. We'll see if we've got a group interest uh, that can pursue those questions as well, okay? But the third question is this. The third question we're asking about belief, what does it mean to me? What difference does it make? What difference does this belief make to me? And I think the, the, the main one is this, readiness. Readiness. Jesus is coming again. Are you ready? That's the why behind the what from Jesus and the apostles. It, it, Jesus, when Jesus spoke of his return, he did it like a heads up. You know, like when you're out in the field and income, the ball is coming, incoming. Heads up. That's what Jesus is saying. There's an incoming. So heads up on this one. Matthew 24, 42. Keep watch because you don't know on what day your Lord will come. Verse 44, two verses net later, you must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour you do not expect him. So when is the judgment going to happen? Well, according to Jesus, he said when he returns. That's verse 31. When the Son of Man comes, then the next order on the agenda of God is this judgment is taking place. Okay, well, then that raises the first part of the Apostles' Creed question. He says Jesus will come again. So how are we supposed to know when he's coming? Well, he told us in Mark 24, in, Mark, in Mark, Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, he gave us some signs. I'm just going to summarize them. Jesus said, when you see these things happen, know the end is near. What things? Well, verse 33, he says, even at the door, what are the things? There are at least seven signs that Jesus said, watch for these. That's a heads up. Here they are. Number one, upheaval in Jerusalem. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, he said, no, the end is near. Next one, great natural disasters. 
And look these up on your own, please, Matthew chapter 24. But verse 7 says, there will be famines, earthquakes, signs in the heavens, natural disasters will be taking place on a very present scale. Number three, intense international dissension. Nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, rumors of wars, and wars themselves breaking out. Verse 7, this is the beginning of the birth pains. You know, before a woman delivers, there is pain that signals the beginning of the delivery. Then four, great moral decay and great moral breakdown. Verse 12, Jesus says, because of the great increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Number five, religious deception. Tremendous religious deception. False teachers, false Christs, false prophets, performing signs and miracles, Jesus said. Verse 24. Then six, extreme hostility toward believers. Verse nine. They will be handed over to be persecuted. They will be uh, hated by all nations because of me. And then number seven, global gospel outreach. Verse 14, Jesus said, this gospel will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now check those for yourself, please. Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke chapter 21, make your own list of signs, and then sit down and look up and see what you think about it. Okay, Because Jesus said, when he comes, then the judgment comes. Now, why do we believe it? That's why they believed it, because Jesus taught it. Why do we believe it? Well, I'll tell you, of the 8,000 verses in the New Testament, one in every 30 speak to the second coming of Jesus Christ. One in 30. In the Gospels, it's one out of every eight. So it's like you just can't get away from this. Yes, he came. Yes, he died. Yes, he rose. Yes, he's coming again. It's all part of the same story, that he's coming again. In, in the 318 references, well, there, in the 216 chapters of the New Testament, the reference to his coming again is 318 times. Peter, John, James, Jude, Paul, Jesus, Luke, all of them say, the writers of the New Testament letters, Jesus is coming again. The same Jesus whom you saw go. That's what we talked about last week. He's coming again in the same way that you saw him go. So the reason we believe it is because that's what he taught, what they believed, and then when he comes back, it's judgment. It's like Easter is halftime, but the signs of the end when he comes again are like the final moments of the game, and then it's done. So what? So don't be taken by surprise. Don't play ostrich, you know, head in the sand. No, this is time for heads up. And that's why it's in the Apostles' Creed. What are they wanting us to get from this? They're wanting us to be ready. How are we going to be ready? By paying attention and heads up to the signs and heads up to the prediction. The Apostle Paul writes it again when he's training his pastor-protege Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is the message version. Don't be naive, Timothy. You know, he was a young man. There's a lot he was still yet to learn. But So Paul says, hey, heads up. Don't be naive about this. There are difficult times ahead as the end approaches. People are going to be self-absorbed, money-hungry, self-promoting, 
stuck up, profane, contemptuous of parents, crude, coarse, dog-eat-dog, unbending, that's my way or the highway, slanderers, impulsively wild, impulse, follow my feelings, savage, cynical, treacherous, that means doesn't matter what I told you, here's what I'm doing in spite of it, ruthless, bloated windbags, addicted to lust and allergic to God. They make a show of religion, but behind the scenes, they're animals. It's less, Paul is saying, heads up, Timothy. You know, while we're doing our work, you got to pay attention and then make sure you're staying focused. What does Apostle Peter say? The day of the Lord will come, but it'll be like a thief. A lot of people won't see it coming. They won't know he's been there until it's done. So what? So be ready. Why? Well, because when he comes, he's going to judge the living and the dead. And that's what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31, Jesus says this, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all his angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory and all of the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people from one another just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And then he will say to those on his right, Come, you blessed of my Father, enter into the inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. The words of Jesus. I mean, if you have a red letter edition, that's all in red. Is that troubling to anybody besides me? A separation will be made. There will be a division of people. And as heavy as this message sounds, you know what? There's still some surprises in it. I got three of them. The first surprise is, who's the judge? You ever wonder who's going to be doing the judging here? Surprise, Jesus. Jesus himself is going to be the judge. Not some distant, arbitrary, cold, disconnected, vengeful, hanging judge with a grudge who is ready to let the hammer drop and give you what you've got coming to you. No, no, no. This is Jesus. This judge has scars on his feet and on his hands and in his side and on his head because he loves you. He, those are your scars he's bearing. That's a surprise. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but that's what the apostles said. Jesus, the one who's poured himself out for us, the one who, you know, this is Jesus, Lamb of God, man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. What kind of grief? Well, let's just think about his life for a moment. This is the one who's qualified to judge. He was born a Jew of questionable parentage. Read the stories in the Gospels. You find out that was questioned. He was berated by his own blood family as out of his mind. He was ridiculed and then rejected by religious leaders as demon-possessed. Did you know that? And then he was betrayed by the ones that were closest to him. Oh, I'll never. And then they did. He was a victim of the worst kind of injustice. He was abused by the court system. 
And then he was crucified by a crooked government. What are his qualifications to judge? He's been through it. And I saw this bumper sticker one time. It said, Jesus is coming again, and boy, is he mad. (laughs) You know, he's got reason to be. Think about the way he's been treated. He's got reason to be, but that's not good. The, the apostles don't say, you know, he's coming back in anger. No. They don't say he's coming back to get his pound of flesh. No. He's coming as one who knows what life is like here. On the worst side of life's equation here. He's coming as the one who has suffered, who lived it, who died for it, and then who rose once again and did it all in love. Jesus, our Savior, is the one who's going to be doing the judging. Is that a surprise to anybody? Okay, here's a second surprise. Our deeds will be judged. Our deeds will be judged. Your deeds are judged as evidence revealing the kind of person you are, the quality of person you are. So when Jesus spoke of the final judgment, he said that the outcome would depend upon what you have done for others. Matthew 25, please read it for yourself. Don't take my word on this one. He said, what you've done for the hungry, what you've done for the ill, what you've done for the imprisoned, what you've done for the naked. That's what Jesus said. I was a stranger and you you welcomed me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was hungry, you fed me. I was in prison, you came to see me. And it's like, and, and you said, no, I thought we were saved by grace, Bill. Aren't we Baptist? The answer is absolutely. We are absolutely saved by grace through faith, by grace through faith. But saved by grace and judged by our works is what Jesus taught. It's what the apostles taught. The apostles see no contradiction saying that we are saved completely by God's grace and then judged by your particular works. How does that work? Why? Well, let me try to summarize it in a statement. Here we go. Grace is the creative power by which God's life comes alive in us. And then works are the evidence that God's Spirit is active in us. Like works are the printout from what's going on inside your IBM, your itty-bitty mind, you know, what's, what's happening on the inside gets outside through your deeds. So that I want to say it again. Grace is the creative power by which God's life comes alive in us. And then guess what? Works are the expression, the evidence of God's Spirit that is active in us. So the works that Jesus just listed, think of it, they are all works of grace, undeserved kindness, those people aren't making demands. Nobody's twisting arms. Nobody's climbing a letter of performance plan salvation here. This undeserved kindness just shows up in the person's behavior. Why? They've received undeserved kindness from God, and now it's showing up in their behavior. So see, it's a quality. Don't imagine, don't imagine God weighing at judgment your, your good deeds and your bad deeds and then discovering, oh, you got one too many wicked there. Sorry, you don't get the carrot. You get the stick. That's not the picture here. This is a quality testing of the substance of what's on the inside as seen by what's on the outside. It's much more like a spiritual pregnancy test, you know? 
Like you take that test, what does it tell you? You got something alive in you. Right? I mean, that's, that's what the test is going to do. That's the judgment is you got, you got something alive in you. And, um, and so it's not about quantity of deeds. It's about quality of substance. Now, sometimes people say, you know, you can't get any. Once you're pregnant, you can't get any more pregnant, can you? And you'll, you'll hear people say, oh, man, she's really pregnant. You know, like she's nine months bursting with life pregnant. And we know that the evidence is showing because the life is growing, and that's the picture here that, um, that God is painting for us. That as you grow in grace, his righteousness becomes so evident that it's seen in your behaviors. And so the question is, have you received the gracious, life-giving presence of God? that shows up in gracious, life-giving behaviors toward others. Does that make sense? Or is that a surprise? (laughs) That's the surprise. Surprise number three. The choice is yours. It's not God's. God doesn't finally weigh a mountain and say, oh, nope, not you. Oh, yep, yeah, aren't you glad? No. The choice is yours. Is this a surprise? You get to ultimate judgment, and Jesus said, you know, the choice was made before you ever got before me. The sheep were sheep before they ever got before the judge. The goats were already goats before they ever got there. All he's doing is saying, okay, all the sheep on this side, all the goats on that side. The separation is just based on the use of freedom. The God who has given us life, the God who's given us this world, the God who gave us time and space and freedom as an opportunity to know him and experience the fullness of his life and of his will in our lives, if we will. So the gift of freedom is what is really being exposed that day. Every person is accountable to God for the way that we have used our freedom. At the final judgment, all that happens there is our freedom is underlined. Whatever choices you've made regarding the gracious kindness of God toward you is underlined. And it appears that some sheep were sheep, I mean, everybody was a sheep before they got there, a goat before they got there, and then on Judgment Day, the sheep that were willing to be led by the shepherd. What's the difference between a sheep and a goat? Well, sheep are typically willing to be led by their shepherd. Goats, on the other hand, just want to do their own thing. They're incorrigible. They are independent. I read, the, I read a little bit in this book this week, Raising Goats for Dummies. And, um, and it says this. It says that biting, butting, and bullying are typical goat behaviors. And you know what's happening at the final judgment? All that's happening is Jesus separates people as those who are willing to respond to the shepherd's lead in receiving gracious kindness and those who just want to do their own thing and bite and butt and bully around on it and get, I want it my way. So that's what's happening here. Based on what? Based on the presence or absence of gracious life-giving behaviors toward other people that is seen in the playback from your own life. It's your tape that's going to be playing, not mine. I'm scared enough about mine. But thank God for the blood of Jesus who's got me covered even when you guys see all that stuff that happened in private. Is that what he said? Is that troubling to anybody? And then here's something that's really troubling, you know. The judgment isn't about how religious you've acted. 
but how grace has grown into righteousness in you. Jesus said, Sermon on the Mount, many religious people will say to me, Lord, Lord, these are the double lorders. One Lord is not enough. They have to double it up. Lord, Lord, didn't we do, didn't we preach in your name? Didn't we drive out demons? Didn't we perform miracles in your name? And I will say to them, what? I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. He says the only ones that get into his Father's kingdom are the ones who do the will of God. What's the will of God look like? It looks like undeserved kindness showing up in your behavior because undeserved kindness has shown up in your heart. And it's going to be tested and revealed on that day. Reminds me of the story of a preacher from the frontier west. Had four sons, preacher and four sons. They were living in a cabin. They heated the cabin with a wood-burning fireplace. And uh, three of the sons were preachers along with their daddy. And they would always rag on little brother because what was wrong with him? You know, when's he going to get a clue? When's he going to get on board? And so they would chide him. They would deride him. They would shame him. They would blame him. And, um, and sure enough, you know, when he would try, they would gather around the fire. <laughs> and all the daddy and the three preacher brothers are all warming themselves by the fireplace. And when little brother would come in, there'd be no room for him to get there. I mean, they'd literally leave him out in the cold. Judging him, weren't they? One day he said, I had a dream last night. Uh, I dreamed I died and went to hell. Of course, they're all paying attention to him. He said, and there were so many preachers there, I still couldn't get next to the fire. <laughs> Jesus will not be fooled. Religious hypocrisy will be exposed. Posers, self-righteous religious people, Jesus said, will be turned away as evildoers. So only those who do the will of God get in. That's what Jesus said. Matthew 7, look at it yourself. Correct me if I'm wrong. Then what matters? Well, what Paul said matters. What matters is faith that works through love. Now, if it has occurred to anybody that's listening today that you got some goat behaviors showing up in your life to the point that you're wondering, where do I get on the grace train? I want to tell you, Jesus Christ, who died for your sins and rose for your justification, and I want to say, Run, don't walk to him as quickly as you can so you will be ready for the day that is coming. Would you pray with me? Thank you, gracious God, for the gift that you have given us not only of life but of your life through your son and of salvation, eternal life, through his resurrection and then to offer it to us as a gift of freedom and hope in, in a world that is so full of biting and butting and bullying, we pray that you would make us gracious people that show the grace we've received from you. And we also pray for those that are here, that are listening right now, that are with us on Church Online, that, that know the day is coming and it's time to get ready. If that's you, Maybe the prayer I'm about to offer is one you can join me in. 
Lord Jesus, come into my life. I don't deserve your kindness, but I need it and I receive it. Thank you for dying for me, for forgiving my sins. Come into my life as I learn to turn from my way and go your way. Be my shepherd. I receive you. And now show up in the deeds that I do toward others. In your name I pray. Our heads are bowed just for a moment, but if you prayed that prayer and would let me ask God's blessing upon your next steps of faith, I'd like for you to simply raise your hand wherever you are. If you're joining us online, click right there and we're praying with you. Kendall Campus, you know we're praying with you as your pastor observes right now. And Lord, for each person who by uplifted hand, seeing them right here in this room, to my left, one, two, three, four, amen. God bless you. To my right, in the middle, toward the front, toward the side, God bless you. Lord Jesus, for every person who by uplifted hand is saying, I want to be ready for that day, and that you've done everything on their behalf so they can, we pray right now your spirit would fill them and they would sense your presence within them and your grace now flowing through them. In your name I pray, amen.